Hello, in this week's episode, we'll be looking at infrastructure as code and Ruby. and technology podcast this is episode seven infrastructure as code so what is this thing it's essentially the a way of writing code a programmable infrastructure uh, so you are instead of managing um, lots of tasks to build up a, uh, a a Linux server, say in some data some center somewhere, you may have to install uh, twenty different uh, requirements and tasks, such as MySQL, uh, a version of Linux, a database. You might have to to install Ruby, set up and. Uh, the machine in a certain way uh, with a an Apache web server and um, configure a, a networking uh, firewall rules. The list goes on. You may have to um, set up uh, credentials such as a secure shell, login. Uh, obviously, users and groups on that system. Uh, traditionally, you could do this by hand. However, uh, in the world that we live in now, as a platform engineer or even as a developer operations, that is a very tedious way to build out infrastructure and uh, for a human being does not scale um, it is really for some sort of installations that go beyond uh, installing say a version of linux and the database and a web server uh, you'll find uh, uh, and certainly platform engineers will find uh, it tedious and even stupid to install software in the traditional means and way. So infrastructure is, as code is essentially uh, programming using a high-level language, and, and it usually is a scriptable language, uh, such as Ruby, uh, Python, and uh, whatever language out there. Uh, I suppose even you could you could do it in Java, uh, but most people will not recommend this. Uh, 
I have seen people write Gradle and Groovy scripts to manage servers. I kid you not. Uh, Ruby and other languages are obviously much more palatable for this scenario. So infrastructure as code is a way of configuring many, many machines uh, uh, at safely and testing that the infrastructure actually works. So test-driven development is required and and if essentially you're using the same sort of development practices that your fellow application developers will be using uh, there will be uh, a system to store these changes such as a version control system in, in most cases it will be distributed version control such as uh, git mercurial uh, uh, bit bucket which is from atlassian uh, they're generally testing the infrastructure how it's provisioned how uh, certain uh, aspects of it are configured. For example, uh, most businesses, uh, virtually all businesses, will uh, erect a company firewall to prevent uh, hackers on the public internet invading the the business and the firm. And so any network communication will pass through various routers uh, and that implies a demilitarized zone, which is a technical area, a barrier between the public internet and the core business uh, infrastructure. And the why I mentioned this is that the, one of the first tasks is to provision uh, some sort of proxy uh, rules that allows a machine in your business uh, to talk to to know about a proxy server uh, and that is the way your you will be able to download or an infrastructure engineer will be able to download uh, uh, code from the outside uh, in order to provision a a server so a proxy firewall for instance will provide some uh, permitted uh, domain addresses such as GitHub, uh, AWS, Amazon Web Services, in order to allow software to be downloaded onto that box. 
And in most institutions and businesses, this will be carefully monitored by the overall uh, network and security infrastructure people. So, yeah, infrastructure, in, in a nutshell, is a way to um, simply provision and manage services, servers, uh, and is a way to automate the process. Uh, in the ideal sense, uh, infrastructure as code should permit uh, the infrastructure specialist to uh, pr press a button, essentially, and spin up and also shut down server. Yeah, so I should say uh, I've, what the introduction is, and, and that's my bad. So let's talk about, I've already talked about infrastructure as code, what it is. I'll talk about some tools as well. And then I'll jump into Ruby, the programming language, uh, and some other areas of interest. And that will conclude this week's uh, episode. So let's look at tooling. Uh, you know, we are going beyond, uh, say, shell scripting and writing bash here. Uh, so there are lots of tools that can help with infrastructure as code. Uh, you may know of some of them. Um, there is a virtual machine management, such as Vagrant. There is a Puppet and Chef, uh, which makes life easier to provision uh, uh, the actual software stack on as a set of infrastructure. So Puppet, as you know, is a tool to provision um, servers using configuration management. Docker is a, it goes beyond virtualization. It, Docker is a, is a tool to write containerized applications such they have uh, your whole application is set up as a set of how shall I say immutable software layers so that you have a Linux operating system operating system uh, your database your web server and other bits and pieces that you need, such as Redis, uh, Memcache for caching. And these are the software layers that are usually immutable, which you download from the internet. Uh, you tend to use Docker uh, with your deploying your own enterprise application and that it tends to be the, the mutable layer and uh, so that whole set of software stack of layers including your company's software application uh, put together in a container 
and that container can be uh, deployed on Amazon Web Services, for instance. And you can also take that containerized application and and spin that up on your Windows 10 workstation or Macintosh MacBook Pro or Linux machine. Uh, so that covers Docker. So uh, and then there's a, a very simple tool, uh, well, it's simple to get into tool called Ansible. Uh, and it's another way of provisioning and wrapping up uh, your application as a set of deployable infrastructure. Uh, the The idea of using tools is that you want to reliably execute the steps safely and securely and repeatable reproducibility is really important if you cannot if we have tools that are impotent which ensures that you can given the same configuration f files or data Every time you execute these tools, you achieve the same result. The server is provisioned, for example, uh, then it's happy days. And usually, for example, if I take Ansible uh, and and it's and their idea of playbooks really cement this idea. So, for example, with Ansible, you can uh, explain in a playbook uh, the abilities that you would like to be installed on a on a server or Linux server or, or any other server too, for that matter. So, for example, you want to have the ability to become the super user, you want to have the super user as root, uh, you want to install Postgres, uh, and you want to install the, the, the any dependencies that Postgres depends on. You want to ensure that Postgres is running on the said server you want to ensure um that a user has the right username the right password has certain privi privilege and you want to uh, uh, add a schema onto that database and then you want to populate that database on that Postgres server with initial data or reference data. Um, you also then can then install extra jobs. So, for example, you may want to have a cron job uh, that will back up your database 
at 10 past midnight every single day of the week and save that as a data file, the Postgres file, in some certain location. And also you will want, therefore, to have this Postgres file uh, back up to only keep seven days' worth of backups or some limited set of days of backup so that in the end you don't you do not um condemn the machine to um running out of disk space with your database backups if you see what i mean and this is an example of provisioning what i've explained there is a ansible playbook or and that can easily be translated into uh, you could do the practically the same thing um, with a little bit of difficulty in say puppet and and chef and and it's easy to test these um this sort of infrastructure as code locally you know, on your MacBook Pro and then you can take these scripts and then install them on say a Amazon machine uh, EC2 instance in uh, in AWS and that script because it's impotent and it's reproducible will work there in the cloud without you having to monitor it or check it it will just work uh, as long as the 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 right cloud machine is up and running and and it's executed so i'm going to talk a little bit more about certain tools and so Vacant is uh, a tool that many platform engineers will use or DevOps will use and even developers will use. So it's essentially um, a tool that wraps procedure uh, around any virtualization tools. It helps you to essentially spin up boxes uh it's i guess already it's built on this idea of images um essentially container boxes uh you just all you do you need to spin up a to spin up vagrant is is obviously you need a virtualization file a vagrant file and once you know that you just uh uh it's easy to execute then, and uh, and the reason why Vagrant is essentially popular is that uh, it's popular for, I guess, certain scenarios, and these scenarios will might include, well, most definitely include uh, PHP, might include Python, uh, but. PHP, MySQL, and Apache, the, the uh, 
uh, Linux, also known as LAMP, Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP, um, means that you can execute the entire virtual machine on either your MacBook Pro, Windows local workstation, as well as send that off to a data center or even to some provision EC2 instance on AWS. Uh, a little bit more about Docker. Docker is, an, is I, I suppose, a container optimization and it takes advantage of the the Linux systems able to have permissions and it's able to uh, use a, a less known feature called ch, ch root ch root which allows the file system to effectively uh, be routed to another location and you effectively can have a sharing using kernel feature and process protection uh, and this effectively allows um, Docker to avoid some of the performance penalties in um, executing virtualization uh, or executing well whereas virtualization would effectively mean translating instruction code to or the foreign CPU to the host CPU. I'm getting very deep and te technical. Sorry about that. Linux effectively allows you to uh, hop across um, this effectively get a performance win by just allowing these kernel calls to work uh, without tr uh, translation and the way it's done is that docker leverages linux so linux is already has instruction codes and it already knows that certain bits of the kernel can be shared protected and supervised I'm not, I'm not doing a very good job explaining Docker because it's a hard thing really to understand. But once you get it, it's, uh, it, you can see that life just changes immensely. So I'll stop there with Docker and I think it's time to go for a little break.
welcome back indeed. Yeah, I was talking about infrastructure as code. I was talking about Docker, uh, Vagrant, Ansible, Puppet Chef. Uh, there's one other tool in the platform engineers, um, cloud native engineers, um, Toolbox, and that is a tool called Terraform. And it's interesting way to, uh, I guess I should explain what Terraform is. It's, uh, if you go to Terraform, T-E-R-R-A-F-O-R-M dot I-O, you'll see that this is a product, open source, pro open source product from Terraform, from HashiCorp. And the idea is to write, plan, and create infrastructure as code. Uh, essentially, these guys, this company, I suppose, pioneered this idea of provisioning and, and building um, data and building servers. And, and it's a, Terraform is an interesting idea which really is helps with Amazon Web Services. So I'm only going to touch on a little bit here. Uh, it's essentially, Terraform allows you to write a plan, a configuration, a YAML file usually, which explains how um, to build up actually a Terraform script file, which allows you to describe how to um, actually uh, bring up or provision a sort of infrastructure that you would need. And then you can then apply this uh, um, Terraform file and actually Terraform will interpolate and work out what it needs to provision that server. So it's a very sh short overview, but it, it, this is also a tool that is, is very popular in developer operations and platform engineering. So I'm going to turn the second part of this episode to step back a bit and look at Ruby, the programming language, and, and why it is used as an infrastructure as code uh, language. So the first thing to bear in mind, uh, why we choose Ruby over a, a massive language such as Java, is because Ruby um, is a interpreted language. It's dynamic. So to bring everyone up to scratch again, there's two sorts of computer programming languages. One that is the first one, like Java uh, or C Sharp or, or F Sharp or Scala, is... The, uh, or Coitlin or, is a language where you program 
and the compiler statically interprets the types and produces um, code that is executed um, by the machine. So if you think of it, this is a box. You feed your ASCII code into it and letters and characters. And then at the end of it, you get uh, byte codes. Uh, for Java, you may get a, a set of uh, virtual codes for C Sharp. And for uh, other compiled languages such as C or C++, you're going to end up eventually with um, assembly language or machine code. In a language like Ruby, uh, this uh, types are uh, it's interpreted, and the language is types are dynamic, uh, and th what this means is that the human readable code that you write is converted into execution instructions dynamically uh, by the Ruby interpreter. So the Ruby the interpreter, when you tell it to go and execute a particular Ruby script or file, goes off and executes that code right now, right here. Uh, so that's the essentially a difference then between Ruby and Java. So uh, Ruby is comparable to say Groovy, uh, and so that's a language that's also dynamically typed and executes, and is interpreted. Uh, the shell scripts such as Bash, uh, Python is another one. And to a lesser extent, I would also include PHP in this as well. So there are things that muddy the water. Obviously, in programming language the, uh, design, in for Java, there is the hotspot virtual machine, uh, which is designed to optimize the, the byte codes of the Java machine and turn those hotspots or benchmark bottlenecks dynamically into the equivalent machine code. Uh, you, the other way to think of it is uh, Apple does not allow any dynamic interpretation on their iOS platform. And so what you see to what people technically have done to get around this uh, restriction is to uh, employ ahead of time compilation which turns um, the dynamic language features of such of a language as Ruby into statically typed machine code. So I'm getting way ahead and outside of the talk about Ruby here. So Ruby is really quite straightforward uh, if it's object-orientated 
and it has all the good stuff that you will find in other languages such as strings uh, methods hash codes uh, which are essentially as uh, dictionary types and you will find in Ruby um, superclasses, uh, subclasses. You can extend uh, um, classes. Uh, in Ruby, you can have mixins. So in traditional Java, uh, before Java 8, this was not possible. But since Java 8 now allows default types, there is a possibility to have um, a lesser brand of mixins. Now, mixins uh, is a way of an object class um, having, I would say, traits, or you can say is an object a type of egg and also an object is also a type of fish uh, for example so it's uh, allows um, flexibility in the types and in and one of the things that people enjoy about ruby is that uh, if it walks this flexible typing means that you can write code that if it looks like a duck, then it is a duck. You know, if it, then it, if it walks like a duck, then it probably is one. And in Scala, this sort of idea is called, uh, in the literature, exotentation. Exudential types, which is hard to say early in the morning. Uh, but essentially, if you have, for example, a method in your class that that is called log and takes a string, then for all tents per all ten intents and purposes, your object, say called donkey is a loggable type and therein lies i guess the surprise in ruby if you had to write the equivalent in traditional java then you would have to say my donkey implements loggable in ruby you do not have to do this at all it's simply because your uh, donkey class has that log feature, you get this feature, um, which is also aspect orientated in a way. It allows, uh, which we know in, the, in, in computer science as a cross-cutting concern. Um, with Java, you have to jump through a lot of hoops to get there, and people have invented frameworks, dependency injection frameworks, and even uh, a language called 
uh, aspect orientated programming and bike class libraries to get um, the developer there to allow some of these features. So let's keep on going with Ruby. So Ruby looks really interesting and it really is quite straightforward uh, to define a method and, and most things you, you will just, um, for example, to define a class, you just write class and then you can have the name of the class it's called donkey. You then and have your logic in the next line so the first line to go back to the start is class space donkey the second line is just the logic for your class in ruby like for which reveals um the comic character is a hash code or pound symbol for americans here and in your third line, you just, to end the definition of your class, is END. Um, in Ruby, we don't use curly brackets like you do in Java. So it sort of looks like, um, I guess, like uh, Python or Fortran. The indentation is implies uh, if you want to subclass donkey if you from another class uh, you write class space donkey and then the less than character symbol and then the name of your superclass which might be um, superclass for example yeah so there's a, a very Yeah, you should be careful with the less than character. In Ruby, it, this is the operator that means that the class name on the right is the parent, the superclass, and the class name on the left is the child, and therefore the child should inherit methods and other things from the parent. Uh, in Ruby, we start with the name of the class in capital letters, just like Java. And so you have camel casing. And, and to create an instance of a Ruby class, you, uh, you, you see you have the name of the class, such as donkey, and then dot, full stop, and then the word, the reserve word, new. So it's different to how you instantiate an object instance in Java. So you'll see, say, donkey.new, and this is a method that can also take um, parameterized arguments. So... Ruby reveals its scripting languages uh, heritage if you know Perl. So local variables, you simply just define them and use them. You don't have to declare them beforehand. 
So you can have, say, um, you can write counter equals zero. So the variable, local variable is counter and and it's initialized to zero. Well, obviously, you would write a local variable inside a method. Or if you don't write it in a method, it's part then of a... It will be part of uh, the global space or a constant. So, yeah, so let's jump back here. A really important thing to know is that in Ruby... Uh, like in most languages, you, you um, try to write in lowercase most of, as much as possible. Um, uppercase variables have special, usually have special meaning. So if you, there is a global space in Ruby, and if you want to put a global scope, uh, define a variable with global scope then you put a dollar symbol so for example you may want to store a, a an application content globally um, throughout your Ruby application and I trust that you know what you're doing with this because singletons uh, if you don't know in are bad in just in Ruby as they are in C or Java or C sharp and if you're a library writer then you the global you'll know to use it once and constants are sacred global variables and so if you define them want to define something like pi uh, you begin with the uppercase character and and they normally are all uppercase characters so uh, if you define pi uh, outside of a class then it's a global and you can use it anywhere in the Ruby application and the other thing to point out is you should treat this as so um, I, I believe uh, the Ruby still allows you to um, change constant types so I treat const constants as sacred in other words if you want to use class variables like static in Java um, use the ampersand amp double ampersand at the beginning of the, na the name of the variable and here you can see the clear lineage to the influence that Ruby has with Perl. Uh, instant variables are limited to the scope of one particular instance of the class. And you define these with the ampersand. So, for example, ampersand uh, total or uh, at ampersand x 
ampersand wife if you're going to uh, store Cartesian coordinates or if you want to store the the radius of a circle in a circle class you would have at ampersand radius to denote uh, the radius of the circle or the ellipse and so it's, it's ruby is ruby has um, obviously strings as well uh, so strings are can have a single quote and then it's like a a literal string uh, if you use double quotes, then you can have um, tokenization or and placeholders. Placeholders begin with the hash character, a squiggly bracket, and the name of the variable that you are trying to that you need the placeholder from. Uh, there are collections in Ruby. Um, you can have arrays, so arrays start with the index zero. So, for example, you can have an array of vegetables, for example, like and and define that as, and then in add stuff to. Uh, you can define them literally. So, with the square brackets notation, so you do vegetables equals opening square bracket and then and say in single quotes tomatoes um, and then comma potatoes and then end square bracket and then you have a, therefore you have an array a literal array of two uh, elements so uh, you, there are certain uh, elements and operations on the arrays you can get the first and the last or of the array the collection the length of the array as, a, as opposed to the size uh, also can have the count which is the same as the size uh, you can check if something is inside your, is contained by your array. And this is a difference in Ruby. Um, you can, in Ruby, you can have methods that return booleans. And if they do uh, symbolically, they have um, the method name ends with a question mark. So you can say, does my vegetables array include, say, chicken? And so obviously that would be false, but you can say, um, does my vegetable array include question mark tomatoes? And that obviously would be true. And um, what else in there? You can have um, arrays of arrays as well. Um and 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 there's a thing called hashes which i should come to at the very end so i'll jump into iterators uh, uh ruby has an idea of iterators which essentially allows you to cycle through 
data structures that store multiple elements, such as a weighing, and you can examine each uh, element, so get access to each element. So you can, there, there's a, a syntax, a, my, a way of vegetables. I can write vegetables dot each space do and then you have a the bar syntax which is bar the name of the element variable that represents each uh, element of the way and then n bar and it really is looks really strange but uh, you really need to look at a piece of ruby code to understand and then uh, once you have your element of the way, call it x or bar x bar, and then you can say print it out to the standard import. So the equivalent to printlin from Java or Pascal is put s. So put s space x will dump the element to the standard output. And of course, for every do command reserve keywords you want to end your iteration loop um the, the do word the do is a do is a reserve word and that introduces the idea of blocks so long before java um ruby had functional language support such as closures and so the idea of a block is that you can pass these blocks uh, pieces of anonymous execution around the code base so uh, for the most part you this is where you if you have a long method you really then want to use squiggly brackets to, and this is similar to Java 8 and Lambdas and Scala, you then put your execution block uh, and, and then you can pass that around uh, as a sort of closure. Um, so I'm going to finally stop my discussion of Ruby with hashes um, because that's one of the most, that is the, and the very important um, collection type in Ruby. Essentially, a hash is a key value pair or a collection of key value pairs and also known as dictionary types in other languages. And in Ruby, you can define these hashes literally as well. So you use um, the key, the arrow notation, which is the equal sign immediately followed, followed by the greater than sign. So you can say um, alpha arrow, um, the string uh, Peter. Uh, and beta arrow um, the, the, the next string Jane and effectively you've got two um, hashes there 
Uh, I forgot to add the obligatory comma to separate the set of hashes. Um, the, the thing about hashes is that the keys are can be objects, so they're not necessarily, um, say, integers. And so keys can be any Ruby object type. Um, the keys are not ordered, so that's just like a hash map in Java. Um, yeah, so the other thing is that Ruby it respects the order of how you define the hashes, which is a really useful thing. So if you define the hashes as I defined them there, it really, it would, it, it's really helpful that Ruby remembers the order, which makes writing um, script really <laughs> helpful, uh, which is one thing I would like about and respect about Ruby. I, yeah, there's a lots of handy methods. So you have uh, you use the square bracket notation to get access to the to the value of the key. So, for example, vegetables square brackets, and then oh, how do they say? Or oh, I didn't even define the name of my hash. So that might be let's define it say as um, names. So I have um, say um, a hash of um, a going to Peter and the hash I uh, have hash of B going to Jane then if I want to get to the hash of in the names um, collection then I write um, square bracket um, string of A to uh, get access to my name Peter or I write name square bracket uh, string B to get access to Jane. So yeah, you really need to look at a piece of real Ruby to uh, understand this. So it's uh, um, really hard to look in a podcast and understand. Uh, Ruby is really straightforward and, and I can see why compared to Java it is really quite uh, popular. Um, final final thing, um, there are symbols. Um, a, a symbol in Ruby is an, a specific literal object type that it, it kind of looks like a string, but it's not one really. Uh, a symbol is, say, a reference. Um, and... It allows you to, and they uh, work with hash collections because you can um, avoid 
mistakes. So, for example, if you use strings in your hash code, you, what kind of string are you using? Um, strings are vulnerable to misinterpretation. Is it uppercase, lowercase? Whereas if you use a simple, uh, a, a, a reference that Ruby understands, then it makes it a lot safer and easier to deal with hashes or hash collections. Um, uh, the thing about Ruby is is that uh, a powerful incentive to Ruby is the framework that is that you can use with it, which is Cucumber. Uh, Cucumber is opens the door to behavior driven development. And if you're wondering why I'm talking about Ruby, this is uh, uh, the connection other, other than Wales. Everybody has heard of Ruby and Wales um, that allows you to really write Ruby code and write features. So features doesn't have to be on some uh, a UI or UX user experience or or front end using Selenium, you can also feature tests and of course unit test your your Ruby code using a framework such as well definitely RSpec. Um, RSpec is basically the foundation and which has inspired the Java guys who who wrote um, Groovy um, Grails and Spark and also the Scala people like Scala Test. So it's interesting going backwards and looking at the Ruby code uh, in this stage of my life and seeing how it really helps with infrastructure as code. And so in this long episode seven, I'm going to stop right there. And so I covered a good bit of infrastructure as code, the various tools that you should look out for, Vagrant, Ansible, Chef, Puppet, um and also a little bit of terraform and for this second part i i look at ruby um it's really useful for infrastructure as as code and provisioning the service and building that sort of um automation experience and to and when you tie Ruby with RSpec and Cucumber, you've really got a really powerful toolbox there. Anyway, that is another long one. So I will bid you adieu and enjoy your day wherever you are in the world. This is another episode of the Pilgrim Engineering Architecture Technology Podcast produced by Peter Pilgrim, music also written and produced and this is licensed on the Creative Commons software. 
You can copy the code, the data, but you must almost attribute the source. And you can find more details about me, Peter Pilgrim, at my blog, www.zenomink.co.uk forward slash blog. And follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Pilgrim. I'm always interested in your feedback, shares, comments, likes. Really appreciate it. Enjoy what you do. Bye for now. Bon dia.